Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Um, hey, it's going to be a good day. I've got a couple things I want to share. And uh, we're in a uh, heart and mind pattern. If you don't know, and I'm saying this uh, often, but uh, we're in a heart and mind pattern. We, we, are, we are attempting uh, to establish patterns uh, that begin to adjust our posture so that it affects the way we inhabit places. In other words, what we do regularly uh, begin to shape the way we stand and the way we walk into the places we go. Uh, you know that if you sit on the couch too much, right? You stand up slower, you walk with a little bit of a hunch, uh, or you sit in the long, just meetings that never end, and you're just, you just, it affects the way you inhabit the places you go. And so we're trying to establish patterns. And uh, thank you so much, Juan. You're amazing. Uh, before I forget to let you go. Um, but last week, we kicked off our Vision Builders campaign um, with our desire to raise $125,000 uh, towards the remodeling of this space. Um, it feels good for what it is now, but there are so many things that we want to see happen in this space that allow us to begin to do some of the things we've talked about, uh, from pop-up shops for... Uh, up-and-coming up entrepreneurs, to art galleries for local artists who are needing a space to show their work, for weddings, uh, for uh, classes, and, and we were just talking the other day about different classes on entrepreneurship that we could do here, different things that are going to allow us to use the building and use the, the space the same way we want to use our lives to inhabit the streets and hearts of our city. In fact, I had someone here this week just showing around the space and uh, he looked up the street and he goes, wait, where's, uh, where's Barry? I said, it's just right there. He goes, oh, my goodness. Man, I, I worked across the street at an old chicken processing plant. We delivered all the chickens to all of Tarrant County. He goes, it's probably not there anymore. Uh, but he knew this area way before it was this area and was looking around and going, my goodness, this looks different. And uh, it was a really cool kind of moment. And so what I want to encourage you is that a Vision Builders Gala is coming up November 14th. Everybody say November 14th. November 14th, it is a Saturday night, and that evening, uh, we will be doing our Vision Builders Gala. It's our first one in a few years, actually, um, and it's in our newest home. Isn't that awesome? One of our visions for last year was to have a 24-7 location, and we are now sitting in it. Um, isn't that awesome? And uh, so that Vision Builders Gala will give you a picture and really an experiential vision and view into what this space is going to be and what it's going to look like. Again, if this space only hosts church services, we've done it wrong. And if this space only has weddings in it, we've done it wrong. The goal of this place and space is that people would discover who God has created them to be, who God has called them to be, and helps them begin to cultivate who they are so they can begin to inhabit the streets they've been sent to. Amen? And so um, I believe in this so much, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but we are in this pattern, heart and mind, so I want to let you guys know about it. And then this weekend, uh, we start our power, this next weekend, we start our power and politics pattern. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you guys excited that we're going to talk about politics? Are you guys pumped? Um, it, power and politics pattern starting next weekend. And uh, one of the uh, groups that I've been following a lot lately is a group called the AND Campaign. Uh, started by a guy named uh, Justin, another guy who you may or may not know 
uh, some, uh, uh, this guy, but Show Baraka, who has an album out just a couple month, years ago now. Uh, I think it's called The Narrative. I can't remember. It's one of my favorites. Uh, he started, and then another young guy, and they just decided that they were too liberal to be conservatives and too conservative to be liberals, and they needed people to begin to speak to both, not just one. And so uh, they've started something. You, if you follow my Instagram, I post it like every three days, I think. And so I reached out to them, and I said, would you have a conversation with us around politics and how we engage it? And uh, they said yes. And I was like, oh, I, I almost didn't expect that. And so on Friday at 1 o'clock on our YouTube and on our Facebook, and then it will live there beyond that, uh, I'll be having a conversation with Justin around what does it mean to live both with conviction and compassion? What does it mean to live in both and instead of either or? What does it mean as followers of Christ to engage the current political uh, sphere? What does that look like? I don't know if you guys have had any challenges doing that lately. Um, it's not the easiest place to step in. And, um, and so doing that. And then Saturday night in this space, limited seating. We're not going to do it too big. About 25 to 30 seats available. Uh, so you do have to register. It is free. Uh, but we've got Josh Shive from C3 Kansas City. He's going to push some buttons and push back on some ideas, and I'm really excited about that. And his, he has what he's going to preach on next week called the politics of the kingdom. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, but he's going to be with us Saturday night. Uh, my friend George Jomo is going to be here uh, Saturday night as well. Just reached out to him this week. And the reason I reached out to him is because uh, politics is something that he's actually pretty passionate about. He's working on a podcast with a friend of his, a friend who sees things differently than him. Isn't that a novel concept? Um, to talk through some things. Some of you know him. He used to work at Kraftwerk. Now he's living in Austin, and we've become friends. So he's going to be here Saturday night. And then our very own, the mayor of Southside, uh, John McCurdy, is going to be sharing as well. And so I'm excited about that. Just a bit of a panel discussion. We are taking questions. So be thinking about what you want to be talking about. Uh, I, I think it's important. Um, we aren't putting our trust in politics, but I also don't think we should remove our voice from it either. And so we will, we will engage our faith and inform our politics. Amen? Um, we are citizens of the kingdom before we're citizens of a republic. Come on now. And so that's this Saturday and then Sunday morning. Josh Shad, one of my greatest friends. I call him my rabbi. Um, he's just brilliant. And uh, he's going to be sharing next Sunday morning, starting our Power and Politics series. So I'm pumped about that. Hey, why don't you turn in your Bibles? In fact, I just want you to earmark this. Just put your finger in it. 1 John 3. We're going to get there at the end. I'm going to do this uh, fairly quickly. I, I need, y'all need to tell me to stop saying fairly quickly. I say it every time I introduce my message fairly quickly as though that's actually a true statement. I say it enough that you don't believe it anymore. Someone just said it's true. And, uh, but I'm going to go to Luke 7, then I'm going to go to Matthew 20. You hang out in 1 John. We'll get there in just a moment. Have you ever, I'm, I'm a bit of an extreme sports guy, so uh, I, watch, I watch all the sports. I think all the sports, especially the ones that I've never been able to accomplish really well. And, uh, and so I watch surfing, and I watch skateboarding, and my sons enjoy it. They're BMX kids. They, they go ride at the skate park. We just went this week for the first time in a minute. Um, and, and, uh, and Grayson, uh, for some reason, recalled the one time that 14-year-old came, uh, came off the quarter pipe and ran into him. Um, so he decided he wasn't going to do any of that that day. Uh, it's, it's interesting the memories we recall to keep us from doing the things that are right in front of us, right? He doesn't remember all the times he did it and had no problem. He remembers the one time that guy didn't look for him um, and knocked him out. And the kid said he was sorry, and I was like, well, it's my son's fault, but he is two and a half, so you are kind of a jerk. And, um, 
But, uh, but I, I, I watch a lot of this stuff, and I'll watch it on Instagram, and I have this strategy because I watch a lot of the crashes. And you have to convince young people and kids especially that if you don't go through the crashes, you, you won't get to the landings, right? That, that it is part of what gets you to the, the best trick is the, the worst trick um, and the things that cause you some pain. And it's going through those that actually allow you to appreciate the victories. My grandfather used to say you can't be responsible for the successes if you're not willing to be responsible for the failures. And uh, anyone who has not failed and owned it, uh, don't trust their successes. Uh, they're not willing to talk about the places they failed, they don't need to mentor you. Uh, you need people who are willing to walk through the bad stuff and the good stuff. Amen? And we are living in a culture. In fact, we have, uh, more often we have politicians who are only telling you, no, this is not the power in politics pattern yet. Uh, but um, I would just love one politician to get up there and go, you know that thing I did a couple years ago? I shouldn't have done that. Like just one time, just once, please. I would trust you more. The person I don't trust is the person who tells me nothing wrong, uh, nothing bad, nothing, nothing they are apologizing for. Anyways, I have this strategy for watching um, uh, crashes, and I, what I do is I'll, I'll squint. I'll do this, and for some reason, when I watch some kid uh, take, uh, take a 12-step on a skateboard and not make it further than eight, um, squinting seems to help alleviate the pain that I feel when they fall. Because how many know when you see someone experience something that maybe you have felt before, you feel it again? It's interesting. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that you've felt the same outcome, but you've, you've felt the same kind of experience. You may not have done a 12-step. I've never jumped over 12 steps on a skateboard. I've never tried, and I won't. Um, I think that was, that, I think we're past that. Um, but when I see it happen, I have felt the same type of thing. Some of you have seen a young person whose parents are, have bailed on them or not believing in them. And you may not have parents like that, but you have at times felt alone. And so you can feel the same thing. Uh, you, you, you may have watched as a friend uh, loses a relationship. And, and you may not have gone through the same kind of circumstance that led to that outcome. But you have sat in that same seat where you have no one next to you. And you can feel it. And there's something that happens on the inside of you. And there, there can be times as people, especially now, uh, when, when we can try to look at those things through squinted eyes. To maybe not feel the same kind of pain. I'm, I'm not sure I want to revisit that moment in my life just because you're experiencing it in yours. But if we're going to talk about the mind like we did a couple weeks ago, which I still one of my favorite messages I've ever preached because it was just a book report of some of my favorite people. The mind is important. Jesus often tells you not necessarily always what to think, but how to think. In fact, sometimes, you know, when he says things like you should cut off your hand, if it's, he's not actually telling you to cut off your hand. He's telling you to think differently than the way the Pharisees and Sadducees would have you think. He's trying to get you to get outside the box of what they had created for people. He wants you to think differently. So when they said, hey, who do I pay taxes to? He goes, well, who's on the coin? Well, Caesar. Okay, so, so give him that. But what is he actually doing? He's saying, well, my image is stamped on you. So you can give Caesar the coin, but you better give me your life. He's trying to get you out of the place where you're always choosing either or, and you're beginning to understand that the good news in the kingdom can exist in both and. 
that there are people, and, and, and we, we, have to, we have to be people who think well, think deeply, think critically, think imaginatively. Your mind is not just an intellectual tool, it is also an imaginative one. But when we talk about mind, we also then have to talk about our heart. We have to talk about the fact that we do feel things. We feel things. Some of you are feeling things right now. You, you had a week and you're thinking about it, and because you're thinking about it, you're feeling about it. Uh, we tend to make those things mutually exclusive. We tend to uh, believe that y- you have to either be rational or emotional, that they can't live in the same space. But if you follow Jesus through the streets of the gospel, what you find out is that he would heal from compassion and then debate with his mind because he knew that both existed in the same space. He understood that. So I want to go to Luke chapter 7. I want you to show, I want to show you what Jesus often did. I want to show you what Jesus did in his interactions with the streets and the cities that he was in. And this is, this is just two examples out of Luke 7 and out of Matthew 20. This is just two examples, uh, not all the examples. You would find a similar phrasing or a similar moment in many places throughout the gospel. Uh, The reason Luke 7 is so unique is Luke rarely talked about what Jesus felt. Luke was a a physician. Luke Luke was one of these people who really thought about the details. He was was in the numbers. He was the Excel spreadsheet guy. He was the guy that wanted to make sure it was recorded well, not necessarily felt well, right? So, So the fact that Luke would mention, and this is one of two to three places where he talks about the things Jesus felt, it's fairly unique, so I wanted to make sure we reference that. And then Matthew, Matthew has it in four to five different places throughout his account of Jesus' life. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 says this. Soon afterward, Jesus went with the disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was, a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. A young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, when the Lord saw her, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. In the NIV translation, it says his heart went out to her. He says, don't cry. And then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. And the bearers stopped. He says, young man, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. I think this is such an interesting uh, moment for Jesus. Jesus is walking back after having just preached and healed and had been busy, been doing some things. And he's walking back into the city and he sees this funeral procession. And instead of looking at this funeral procession with squinted eyes, He looked at it fully and completely and saw a mom who was grieving, saw a mother who had lost a son. What I love about Jesus is that he sees. What I love about Jesus is that he takes notice. What I love about Jesus is that he has his eyes fully open even after an exhausting day of ministry. That he has his eyes fully open even after a day where he could have just said, I've done all the healing and helping I'm going to do for today. And Jesus, on his way back in, maybe he's about to go have a meal. Maybe he's about to go get a break. Maybe he's going to go to sleep. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know 
that this was not necessarily on his itinerary. This was not necessarily on his schedule. But because Jesus kept his eyes up and not down, Jesus saw a need he could meet. Jesus' heart went out. Jesus' heart overflowed. Jesus was moved by the sight that he saw of this mom who was feeling pain. Jesus noticed something. See, most of Jesus' miracles come after he feels something. Most of the miracles Jesus performs were not things that were on his schedule, but that they were things that were on the street he happened to be on that day. Most of the miracles Jesus performed happened as he was walking down the street and saw something. See, Jesus didn't move towards this mom until he saw this mom. I remember when we were making the decision to move this church into the city of Fort Worth and, and, and knew that where we were located and where we were going to be located at the time, we were at 809 Vickery. And I knew that to get to 809 Vickery, there's a couple different routes you would have to take. But, but over time, there was no chance you were going to avoid uh, all of the different types of people that are living in this city. Uh, the people who on Lancaster are homeless. Uh, the people who are fighting through poverty in different neighborhoods. The, the, the people who have redone certain parts of the neighborhood and seen entrepreneurship that's, that's showing up in the city. The, the, the college that is just down the road. And yes, the other college that's just down the road. There's more than one. Uh, there, there's all the things that are happening in the city and wanted you to see, and I don't know if you know this based on the fact that I'm wearing Vans and talking about Temptations soul music, that I'm a bit of an eclectic person. It's hard for me to pick out clothes because I don't know who I want to be that day. My personality is one that I don't want to hear just from one person with one side, with one view. I want to hear from a lot of people. I sent my notes for my sermon prep to a buddy of mine on the kingdom, and he said, oh, my gosh, Brandon, these notes are ridiculous. I took it as a compliment. I'm not sure it was meant as one. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I've never seen this many, these, this many quotes and references and citations in, a certain, in, in just one message of notes. And I said, yeah, it's a problem. I have a problem. My biggest issue on a Sunday morning is not having something to preach. It's knowing what thing to preach. And I believe the same should be for you and I, that we should be eclectic people. I believe we should be a church that looks like all parts of our city, not just one part of our city. I believe we should have a church that, be, <laughs> that have people who got Starbucks on the way and the people who think that's heretical. I want to be the church of people who do brunch, and I want to do the, uh, be the church for people who do breakfast. I, I want to be uh, the church for people who have who have not seen a success when it comes to business and the people who have made it, and I want to see them do life together. I, I want to see the people who are in the neighborhood you haven't driven through yet because you've stayed to the cool part of town mixing with the people who stay, hang out in the cool part of town. I want to see all kinds of people, and, and, because here's the reality, and there's an illustration of what discipleship looks like, and one view is that discipleship happens on the balcony overlooking the street. It's the, it's the people who stand on the balcony and tell everybody, oh, you should go here, you should go there, you should go here. But the reality is discipleship happens on the street in the midst of the busyness and the chaos. It happens in the middle of where you should put your foot next doing life with one another. And that's the way Jesus did things. Jesus walked down the street. He didn't hang out on the balcony. 
Every once in a while, he would go up the hill, but he would always come back down it. And he would always make his way past people who were feeling certain things or hurt by certain things, who had certain needs, and he would make his way towards them. In fact, the word, when it says that he saw her, the word there does not just mean that he saw it, but that he had a predisposition to do something about it. That he had something about him that he wasn't just seeing the need, but there was something about him. And I know Pastor Mayor was going to share this this morning until plans change. Thank you, Kristen, for stepping in on that. Uh, but she, but 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 that he was that she was going to talk about being front-footed, people who 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 lean into the situation, lean into worship, lean into our city, lean in to our calling. And yes, of course, there are times where you need to get on that back foot. But more often than not, when it comes to your calling, it's always going to be found in the front-footed posture. And, and Jesus saw a need, and because he was already leaning that way, he saw it not as a need to squint at, but he saw it as a need that he could do something about. What if we drove through our streets? Even the streets we don't like to go down. What if we drove through our streets and just, just looked? And in our looking started to see, and in our seeing, began to realize, maybe, just maybe, I have something to contribute. I think sometimes the issue with us living out our calling is because we're not looking. It's not that God hasn't put something in here. It's that, he has, that, that you haven't looked at anything that you can give your heart to. Sometimes the issue with our calling is not, are we able, are we gifted, are we talented? It's that our eyes have been squinting or our eyes have been looking down, and so we don't see the very need God has put in front of us that our heart might go towards it. To meet the need, we have to see the need. Matthew 20, let me read through these. Matthew 20 says, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Again, Jesus trying to get to the next spot. It says, there were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd demanded, but they keep quiet. But they called out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped, called them. And said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Verse 33, Lord, they said to them, open our eyes. Verse 34, here you go, you ready? This is, you see this over and over and over again in the Gospels, in the account of who Jesus was. It says, moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see and they followed him. Again, we see another miracle that happens, not because it was on his schedule, but because it was on his street. So often we try to, we try to schedule our calling. It's not about when. It's more often about where. God shaped Adam and then breathed into him the breath of life, and then placed him in the garden. Adam didn't get to choose when. He just got put there. And his calling was wherever he was. So Jesus 
sees these men. Everybody else tried to shut them down. Everybody else tried to quiet them down. Jesus says, what do you need? So Jesus saw the woman, and he heard the blind men, and Jesus was moved with compassion. John Cousins says it like this, compassion is your pain in my heart. Compassion is your pain in my heart. The verb expresses an outward flow of one's life in contrast to our natural tendency towards self-centeredness. It follows that we desire to imitate Jesus, that we need to be men and women of deep compassion. So the question today is, what moves you? What moves you? When you see it, what makes you want to step into it? When you look around, what makes your heart beat just a little bit differently? Just enough that you notice it, but you're not sure of it. You just, there's something happened there when I saw that, or I heard that, or I noticed that. What, what is it that's beating in your heart? What is it that's moving you? And maybe, just maybe, there's many of us in the room that haven't felt that move in a long time. In fact, for some of us, we felt the move, but it's in the opposite direction. See, what moves your heart is an important question to ask. Because for some of us, what's moving our heart is moving it not towards heaven, but closer towards hell. I don't even mean that necessarily in a literal sense. I just simply mean that for us, it is this lack of the presence of God. Our heart is moving, but it's moving towards negative things. It's moving towards things do not move us towards peace or joy or hope, or life, not moving us towards vision or purpose. And, and so often the world will tell you, just be selfish about your vision. Be selfish about your calling. I'm not sure that's the way Jesus lived. Jesus knew his calling so well that he could give it to anyone who came across his path. What I need is people around me who will allow me to see the need and go after it and I want people around me who I can go, hey, you need to go after the thing that's beating in your heart. I remember sitting with George, who's going to be with us Saturday night. He said, man, I have this desire to go back to Kenya and do this and do that. And I said, okay, how old are you? He said, at the time, I think he was 22. And I go, you should do that. Here's the thing. If you ever sit with me and you go, I have a desire for this, I'm not going to go, well, maybe later. There's a really good chance I'm going to go, why not now? I'd rather you talk me out of now then talk me into later. I'd, I'd rather you have to push back on, this is the moment. You already see the need. This is the move. This is the step. You have a move towards bringing heaven to earth. Do that now. And there may not be a career that lines up with it. Okay. Don't let your career define your calling. That's a very short-sighted way of looking at what God's put in your heart. There is something deep within you that resides beyond the place that you think you reside. There's something deeper in you. And Jesus would walk down these streets and he would hear it and he would see it and he would move toward it. It's such a reminder of Jesus. It's a reminder that Jesus rarely, 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 if ever, forgets how you're feeling, forgets what you're walking through. That Jesus never stops paying attention to the things that you're having to walk through. That Jesus notices you when you don't notice him. Jesus notices you when you're walking out of the city with, with death behind you. Jesus notices you when you are sitting by the city gate 
and you're blind to whatever the future might hold. Jesus notices you when there is pain in your life and difficulty in front of you. Jesus notices that. Jesus sees it. Jesus wants to be part of it. And when I asked the question in my heart, as I was preparing this, I asked this question, what allowed Jesus to live with this kind of compassion? What allowed Jesus to walk down a street with with other things to do, having already done some amazing things, and to see someone in pain, and to stop everything, to step into someone else's grief, put his hand on the casket. How dare you, Jesus? To make everyone stop, to look at the mother and say, hey, stop crying. What, what is it that allowed Jesus to be moved with compassion? I believe it's this, and I I'm going to find it in 1 John. This is why I told you to put your finger and, and hold on for me and wait for me. 1 John 3, 18 through 20 says this. Uh, 18 is kind of at the end of a bit of a challenge to love other people well. And he says this. He says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. In other words, love in truth is an action. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth. And we, we will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. So how, do we, how did Jesus do this? Well, I think it's, it's the truth that's found here. How are we going to do it? Well, I think it's the truth that's found here. What, what happens in 1 John verse three or chapter 3? What is, what is he saying here? Well, on one hand, you, you say God knows you better than your heart does. God knows you better than your feelings do. I saw this quote yesterday that said, you can't believe everything you tell yourself. You can't believe everything you tell yourself. I, I believe the truth is right here that we got God who knows you better than you know yourself, right? But it's on the tail end of what? Go and love people well, not just in word and speech, but in all things, in action and truth. Love them well. This is how you will know your heart is in good place because you will see the needs, you will hear the needs, and you will make room for the needs, and you will be moved by the needs because God knows you better than you know yourself. Here's what I believe. Jesus knew who he was in light of who the Father was. Jesus knew who God said he was. Jesus knew fully what his calling was. Jesus was called to heal the blind. Jesus was called to heal the sick. He says this. And so why does he see a, a mom with a dead son coming behind? Because that's what he's called to. He knew who he was. And he knew it because God had told him who he was. He withdrew to be with the Lord so they could continue to establish who he was on this earth. So he could give us a pattern to follow. You and I have to be people. I, I know this is, I remember Erwin McManus saying this one time. We often think that to love others well, we have to love ourselves. And I, and I think there's some truth to that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that that's untrue. But what he said is, I've, I've often found out um, that it's the, the, the reaping after I've sown. That when I begin to love other people well, even despite the things they've done, even despite the things they've said, even despite that when I love people well, there's something that changes in me because my heart has gone out to them and now I'm feeling for them and God begins to establish. That's why in Matthew 5, what does he say? Those who mourn will be 
comforted. In other words, those who have the compassion that your pain in my heart will be fortified, will be comforted by me. You will. This is why Jesus was the man of sorrows. And yet, in Hebrews says, he was anointed with joy. Because his sorrow was extended for the people he loved, and yet his father was anointing him with joy along the journey. You and I, as we extend ourselves to other people, will watch as God begins to fill our hearts. As God begins to fill our lives. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than you know your feelings. You don't want to follow your feelings, but you should feel your feelings. I don't think we're any, we don't do ourselves any good if we deny our feelings. Pete Scarsborough says that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. When I watched my son yesterday, he had a, a bit of an afternoon. He was mad about everything, yelling about everything, crying about everything. It may have, may have trailed into this morning a little bit. Um, my wife looked at him, and we'd had, just a, we'd had a long week with a lot of different stuff going on. Now they're at soccer practice and games and school and all this stuff, and he, I think he was just worn out. And, and my, my, Meredith just said to him, she said, you're just tired. He thinks he's mad. We know he's tired. See, sometimes you and I can be feeling all the feelings. We can be very much in our feelings. And God is looking at you going, I know what you're feeling, but I know you better than you feel. I know you better than you think. And if I could hear, if you could just hear my voice and understand who I've called you to be, you would walk in it in a different way. John Stott says, our conscience is by no means infallible. Its condemnation may often be unjust. We can, therefore, appeal from our conscience to God, who is greater and more knowledgeable. Indeed, he knows all things, including our secret motives and deepest resolves. And it is implied will be more merciful towards us than our own heart. His omniscience should relieve, not terrify us. He knows us, and that should relieve us. He knows us, so that should give us calm. He knows us, so that should bring peace. Why? Because what he knows about us is far more than we even know about ourselves. And you may think you are done, and God's just saying you're tired. You may think it is a bad day, and God may just be saying, no, it's just a day. You may think that you are angry, and God is saying, no, 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 your frustration is just a vision I put in your heart because things can't be better. See, what moves your heart? What moves our heart as a church? Does it move our heart that we're right next to Pasco High School, one of the most diverse schools in the city, people coming from all over the city, not just one neighborhood? Come on, that's awesome. That sounds like eclectic a little bit. Does it move your heart to think that a young man who may be living under the poverty line, maybe not getting the same experiences that others have, maybe not getting the same advantages, walks a half mile into a building that just so happens to be ours and gets taught how to cultivate and discover their calling, begins to learn how, what it is to be an entrepreneur, begins to learn what it is, how to work design or edit photos, and begins to build a career and a calling in his life and begins to have an advantage he never had before. Is it possible that a young man might walk down here or a young woman might walk down here who's been abused in the past and find people who love her, 
no matter what's gone on in your life. Does it move your heart? It won't move your heart unless you see it. See, I want to be people who heart and mind. Feel it and think it. And as we be people, become people who heart and mind are walking with the Lord, we will establish a posture towards our city. And we will inhabit places in our city like Jesus did. That's what this place is going to be. That's what this church is. That's what we're calling for. As we're in the season of committing ourselves to this, man, I'm telling you right now, we are going to be a different church. This is a different church than it was six months ago. This is a different church than the one we shut down. In fact, one of the things that I didn't always love about Botanic is that you could get off the highway, turn into the Botanic, and then get back on the highway and jet out and never see anyone in this city. It was one of my greatest frustrations. Drive a half mile, get on the road, and be gone. Can't do that here. You're going to drive by the local neighborhood hardware store that looks like it needs more people to show up and buy some bolts. And you're going to drive by Grant Daniels in the dark room. Incredible, beautiful space. And they're, they're a quarter mile from one another. You're going to drive by Pasco High School. All the things that have gone on there and all the things that are they're dealing with the students in that school and all the things that they're pushing through. And, man, I just see ourselves having a program that, that meets the needs of young people. Not just, again, not just giving them fish, but teaching them how. Supporting their parents and whatever needs they might have. And then you might drive by down the, the school down the road that looks a bit nicer, has a few more things. The reality is they are all, they are all on the street. We walk. They all have needs that we can meet. But will you, can you, are you moved by what you see? Don't squint when you drive down the street. Don't squint when you walk by the person who looks different than you, sounds different than you, that has a few more troubles than you have, or has done through, gone through a few more difficulties than maybe you have. Don't squint. Open your eyes fully, because you are called to heal the sick, to open blind eyes take care of the poor. You are called for that reason. And when you discover who you are called to be, your heart will be free to be extended to those who need it. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're going to do. And God, I know that today there was a lot. There's a lot going on, a lot happening. But I'm praying and I'm believing that in this moment, people are engaging their hearts. People are engaging who they are. That, God, you are reminding them who they are. And for some in this room, there's frustrations that they're feeling. And they're allowing it to stay in the category of a frustration. But you're trying to move it into the category of vision. You are wanting them to see it as a need that can be met, not as a problem that they must carry. God, you want them to see it as something they can bring healing into, they can bring life into. God, that we would have, as we have been freely given to, we would freely give. God, we only freely give when we begin to understand that we've been freely given to. God, I thank you for today. Jesus, we honor you. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. We thank you for seeing us. We thank you 
for extending your heart towards us. We thank you for giving your life to us. Let us be the same. Let us give our life to others. Let us know who we are in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.